News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Hour number three, Pete Callender here. Thanks again for uh, hanging out. I appreciate it. Letting me be a part of your day. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And uh, the email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com, which, by the way, I did get some uh, messages here <clears throat> regarding uh, the asteroid attack that we engaged in uh, this week, uh, as well as uh, the hurricane uh, and whether they are connected. I'm not saying they are. I'm just asking questions. And so I got an email here from uh, Joseph who says, since Werner von Braun was the Nazi scientist poached from Germany after the war by the U.S. and is the father of rocketry, wouldn't that mean that the asteroid deflecting spacecraft is a product of fascism? Yes, that is exactly what that means. Shut down the operation. Exactly, Joseph. Exactly. Um, then there was this. Let me see. I got a glare here from the uh, from the window. See, the sun, again, the sun, this is retribution because it knows that I'm onto its game, so it's trying to block my sight here. Okay, uh, I got, uh, I'm looking at this tweet. This is from Rachel Vinman, and her Twitter handle name is... Um, at NATSEC Hobbyist. So it's National Security, right? NATSEC Hobbyist. Her name again, Rachel Vinman. Does that name ring a bell? Not the first name, but the last name. Vindman. Vindman. Remember him? Yeah, he was the guy that leaked the transcript of the phone call between Trump and the Ukrainian president. That led to Trump's impeachment, right? Vindman. Okay, so this is his wife, Natsek or hobbyist, Natsek hobbyist, and she said on Twitter a tweet that apparently has now been deleted after it got like fifty-four thousand likes. Here's what she said: We should use they/them pronouns for Hurricane Ian. Just to annoy DeSantis. <laughs> All right. Bad joke, right? Trust me, I'm an expert. Um, so not a yeah, bad joke, but still a joke. Eh, right? It's a joke. Get it? Because he's against the gays and transgenders and whatever. But that's the that's the joke. We should use the pronouns they them. For Hurricane Ian, just to annoy DeSantis. Here, I'll even do, I'll, I'll even give her one of these. There you go. There you go, Rachel Vindman. You got yourself a rim shot. Okay. But this tweet got deleted. Why would she delete such an innocuous, bad joke tweet? She did not delete it because it's a bad joke, like it doesn't have high comedic value. No, no. Here's another tweet explaining why she tweet, uh, deleted the tweet. I deleted my tweet from yesterday because it was offensive to the trans community. Oh, my God. Why would that be offensive? Surely you're not suggesting that the trans community is hypersensitive to anything you say about them. No, that can't possibly be the case. (laughs) She goes on to say, I want to be an ally, but I make mistakes. A lot of them. Thank you to those who left rebuking comments. 
Yes, sir. May I have another? Oh, I'm sorry. I should. Yes, they. Can I have another? Give me a break. You deleted the tweet because some people were looking to be offended. And by the way, this is one of the rules about taking offense, right? That's what the, you take offense, right? If you go out looking to be offended, you will be offended. You will find it. There is always some thing out there that you can twist and contort in your mind to take offense to. Because that's the whole point of taking offense. You take it. It's kind of selfish, actually, if you think about it. You're taking it. Right? This is, you, really, you really want me to believe that her comment saying... She's making a joke at the expense of, like, the transphobic bigot, right? Ron DeSantis. Oh, yeah, Ron DeSantis. The evil governor DeSantis. Or should I say, DeSatan, right? Isn't that what they're calling him? DeSatan? Or Death Santis or whatever, right? They have all these names for him. But if you, but if you dare to make a joke... That it, she's not even she's not even making a joke at the expense of or targeting trans people. She's just she's using the language of transgenderism and this bending of the knee to the transgender vocabulary police. Right? She's making a joke about those words to weaponize them against a common foe. And oh, 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 oh no, you you can't say that. Oh, so like this is now like. Like the N word is that is that the idea? Like only certain people are allowed to use it in rap songs or something, or talking with each other. Like you can use that word, but these people can't use the word. Now we're supposed to. Now we're supposed to know that. So when all right, so when people are putting the pronouns in their emails, by the way, if you want me to ignore your email PR people, just put your pronouns in the subject line or in your uh, your uh, your avatar or whatever your fr- your profile. You know, when it comes up, it's like here's your name and shows up Pete Callender. Whatever, you know, media strategy solutions or whatever. And put put your pronouns in there. Automatic delete. Just did one today. Automatic delete. There are people I know from media that are now in the PR biz and they put their pronouns in their signatures in their emails. Automatic deletion. Automatically so. And they're never, by the way, they're never pronouns that conflict with their, their gender assigned at birth. Right. It's it's never it's never an opposition. It's never different. It's always the same. (laughs) So why are you telling me this? Because, of course, you have to. You got to put them in the signature. Corporate policy says this is how you affirm other people is by calling them the things they want to call. But don't you dare use that in any other way. You use that in any other way like Rachel Vindman did. And you're going to have to self-flagellate. You're going to have to. You're going to have to bend the knee. You're going to have to apologize. You're going to have to give yourself a couple of whipping whacks against the back. You know, you're going to have to do that sort of thing. And then, you know, beg forgiveness because you made a joke, not even at their expense. You just simply use some terminology that they have, dare I say it, uh, co-opted or appropriated. Because the word they and the word them belonged to the cisgender community first. You realize that, right? They, them, those are words that the cis people used. You guys have vocabularically, yeah, appropriated those words. This is why as much as I don't like the terms, but I think it's a little bit more honest and a little bit more of a consistent standard for the whole G, G, J, whatever, with the X's and the Z's and stuff. Make up your own words, right? 
Cultural appropriation. Dare I say it. By the way, did you hear what Trump said about DeSantis? Look, I I rarely get into these types of stories. You know me, right? I'm about ideas, not the people. Um, and so, but I, so I rarely get into these types of stories. But um, the Washington Examiner doing the story uh, that Trump ripped into DeSantis. And you know who he said this to? Maggie Haberman. Maggie Haberman from the New York Times. She's writing, she wrote a book about Trump that he helped her. Right. He gave her access so she could write this book. What the hell is he thinking? Why would you invite this woman into your circle to write a book about you? She works for the New York Times and, oh, she's Maggie Haberman. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Why would you do such a thing? I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. Hang on. Stan has a comment about the asteroid. Hello, Stan. What's up, man? I, uh, uh, did anybody ever stop to think that this maybe we, we took out this asteroid because we figured out where all the UFO sightings that the military had seen? We figured out where they were, where were, they were coming from, but we just took, we just took it out. That would be, that would be very on brand for GovCo, would it not? Yeah. They, yeah, they would just like secretly, they would come up with a cover story. Uh, you know, like we landed on the moon and they, no, I'm kidding. I, I do not, I believe we landed on the moon. So they, uh, uh, but they would come up with a cover story and be like, oh, yeah, we're just trying to see if we can knock this thing off its rotation by a couple minutes. And everybody's like, oh, boring. But in actuality, that's that's the uh, the birthing place for all the UFOs. Well, now, I will also figure, like, you know, lately the most outlandish conspiracy theories we come up with, like, like it had resonated in the Wuhan lab. Yeah, yeah. It should, turn out, it should turn out to be true. So I figured why not do that in this case? Right. We are suffering from a failure of imagination. So... I like where you're headed with this, Stan. It's very possible, yeah. And and they don't and they don't necessarily have to be aliens. It could be Putin. It could be what? It doesn't have to necessarily be aliens. It could be Putin. It could be Putin. That's true it too. Maybe Putin colonized that asteroid. That's possible That's as well. It, and it's so there you go, bringing it all back to Russia. And Trump probably knew about it too. He's probably working on it with Putin. All right, uh, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We are talking earlier about the VHS tapes um, and the, the facilities that would actually rent these movies to people. And you, if you if you went in there and they didn't have the movie you wanted, you just didn't get to watch that movie. Now, th- th- those were the breaks. And it was really crazy, you think back on it now, that they would have all of the movies, like, lined up. They, and they would have, you know, like 30 copies of one movie. All on the shelf. Like the amount of shelf space required for like the new release wall. You know, you'd walk over to the back and there'd be like the new releases up there. And there'd be like 30 or 40 of the same movie. Um, Jessica writes in to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, we, always ha- we always had a late fee for the movie Mannequin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have no idea why my sister and I watched that over and over and over again. It was the worst movie ever. (laughs) 
That movie in Beverly Hills Cop had late fees. My mom would leave Beverly Hills Cop on for us while she went to the grocery store. I guess she thought that was a kid's movie. <laughs> right? So our first, I'll never forget, we got our VCR and we went down and rented a movie. And so uh, I got an older brother and two younger sisters. So it was the boys and the girls. And I know, I know, trigger warning, gender assignment here. But uh, there's the boys and the girls. And so the boys got to pick out a movie and the girls got to pick out a movie. And so we boys picked out Flash Gordon. That was the, that you know, with the blonde head guy. I don't know his name. And, uh, well, yeah, it was the movie, Flash Gordon. He was Flash. Anyway, and the girls picked out Winnie the Pooh. And because they were younger and they were our sisters, uh, we had to watch their movie first. So f- to our eternal shame, the first movie that we ever watched at home on the VHS machine was Winnie the Pooh. But the second movie was Flash Gordon. Yeah. Bender of the Universe. Um, I don't know. Oh, and then the other story on the uh, VCR deal was the uh, was that uh, E.T. came out. We wanted to go watch uh, E.T. in the movies. And Mom said, no, you'll wait for it to come out on VCR, on the VHS tape. And, um, I mean, it was a rational idea. Like, why spend the money to take four kids to a movie theater to watch E.T., even though everybody was seeing E.T. It was like the number one movie. But no, Mom said, we'll wait for it to come out on VCR. And then it never came out on VCR. Never. They made the announcement. They're like, nope, sorry, we're not putting it out on the video. So we never got to watch E.T. And then, like, I was, you know, 38 years old when I finally saw E.T. And I was like, eh. Anyway, uh, so back to this story. Washington Examiner reports that Donald Trump sat for not one interview, not two interviews, but three interviews with the New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman as part of the research for her new book, which is out now, apparently. And the new book's title is Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America. The name of her book is Con Man. Why on earth does he help her write this book? Haberman shared details of the conversations in an article at The Atlantic, which was published on Sunday, in which the former president claimed credit for Ron DeSantis winning his gubernatorial nomination back in 2018. So Trump is claiming credit for DeSantis's win two years after Trump. Okay. Uh, so there's no down ballot effect here, but I don't know why. But then he proceeds to call the forty uh, the forty fifth president. Then proceeds to call the Florida governor fat, phony, and whiny. This is what you get with Trump. He is a destructive force, even among allies. Been saying it for years. You can love him all you want, but you better not love somebody else too. You better not like another GOP candidate because if that GOP official or candidate or retired candidate or anybody, if there is a perception that he's a threat to Trump in some way, then Trump's going to attack him and Trump is going to try to do damage to that person and their brand. And apparently he that maybe that's why he sat for three interviews with the New York Times reporter. Why on earth would you do that? Why on earth?
one of the things I've never understood. The attacks on on other on allies that Trump engages in, I don't understand it. I don't think I've never heard DeSantis say anything negative about Donald Trump ever. I'm maybe he has. I don't I'm not saying he hasn't. I've not heard it. I don't follow, you know, everything DeSantis says. I'm not on DeSantis watch. I don't follow everything Trump says. But this one came across the radar and I'm like, okay, so he calls DeSantis fat, phony, and whiny. And like, okay, first off, like, I don't believe it. But it's in the Washington Examiner. And just my general rule of thumb is whenever I hear these types of stories about, oh, Trump said something or did something, my initial response, just because of past experience, is to say, yeah, that's probably not true, right? Probably somebody took him out of context. There was more of a sentence there uh, that they just chopped out, whatever. So I see this and I'm like, okay, well, let me see what it's about because it's at the Washington Examiner. But then I see that he he, make the, he makes these comments to Maggie Haberman of the New York Times, which I thought they were the enemy of the people, right? Why are you talking to the enemy of the people? Why are you giving interviews to Maggie Haberman so she can write a book where she calls you a con man? The name of the book is called Confidence Man, the making of Donald Trump and the breaking of America. Why would you give her three interviews for her book? Why would you help her like that? Do you think you're going to get better coverage from her? So in these conversations with Haberman, where she asked him uh, during a meeting late this summer at the Trump National Golf Club, Bedminster in New Jersey, um, that's when he called the Florida governor fat, phony, and whiny. It's not clear if Trump offers any additional disparaging remarks about DeSantis that are documented in the book and not in the article that appeared at The Atlantic. DeSantis had raised more money since January of last year than Donald Trump or President Joe Biden. And so maybe that's one of the reasons. And I have no idea, and I'm not trying to assume people's motives here, with especially with Donald Trump, because I think a lot of times there really is no larger motive. Um, but it, I... I I'm at a loss, again, to understand why you're sitting for these chats with an enemy of the people. So uh, Jenny Goldsberry is writing this uh, article at the Washington Examiner, and she's connecting it to uh, the fundraising totals because at the time of this interview, when he made these comments, news had also emerged that DeSantis had raised $177 $177 million for his reelection campaign. So this was this was in the news. And so maybe that's what prompted Trump's lashing out at DeSantis. I, mean, I don't know any other way to describe it. Why would you say these things about the guy? This is what I don't understand. And there's an old axiom, and I just mentioned it in our conversation during the break here with, the, with Bernie and Chris, that uh, was it small minds talk about people and... Big minds talk about ideas, right? I don't understand. I don't understand. The, the, is the juice worth the squeeze on this? Why would you do that? Are you trying to send a message to keep DeSantis out of the out of the race? So you tell Haberman these things, so the ghost so it goes into a book, and you damage DeSantis beforehand. So this way, he's like, oh, you know what? I'm not even going to take on Trump. I'm not even going to try to run against him. So is he trying to clear the field for himself between the polling and fundraising numbers? Party operatives and voters alike have speculated that the Florida governor is laying the groundwork for a 2024 presidential bid. 
If accurate, that would place him at odds with Trump, who is widely understood to be preparing to launch his 2024 candidacy after the November midterms. DeSantis did not respond uh, to a request for comment. And then there was this. I mentioned a little bit of this uh, yesterday. It's a piece by Michael Anton at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Very lengthy piece. He goes in a couple different directions with it. Uh, he talks about revolution and founding principles. But um, this is, I, I thought, uh, th- these are pretty good questions for the, uh, for the manorms crowd. You know what that means? Manorms. These are the people on the conservative uh, bench, right, the, the, on the right, uh, that were for years. I mentioned yesterday Jonah Goldberg's book, Liberal Fascism, right? He, this guy was one of the warriors on the right who then went, you know, full never Trump. And uh, it seems and their argument against Trump was always about, quote, norms and how you got to protect the norms. And there are certain norms of civility and society and politics and all of that. And uh, now, so they've kind of organized themselves over at the Dispatch and the Bulwark, and I think those are the two, Lincoln Project, but those are just hacks, but whatever. Um, what have our conservatives conserved? This is what Michael Anton asks, and I think this is a very fair question. He says, before we answer that, hint, the answer is almost nothing, let's first ask this. What were they supposed to conserve? What do they say they're conserving in all of the fundraising letters they send out that have been netting them hundreds of millions of dollars a year for most of my lifetime? First of all, right, what are they trying to, what are they supposed to be conserving? How about the physical territory of the United States? Okay, that's at least been conserved, right? A given conservative uh, uh, support for the military and our posture during the Cold War. It's at least plausible that conservatives have something to do with that. Okay, Uh, So you got the physical territory. They're trying to conserve. What are they supposed to be conserving? Physical territory. All right. Also, the people. All right. Well, uh, we actually have declining life expectancies in America. We're the only nominally first world country that can say that. China, with a per capita income that's one-fifth of what ours is, recently passed the United States in life expectancy. Now, they have probably some issues with their data collection, but still, you might say conservatives are not at fault for this. Fair enough. Their stated purpose, though, is to conserve. And it's rather evident that they have failed to conserve these aspects of decent human life. Now, that's before we even get to the the demographic transformation. One of those things that's happening. um, Sorry, one of those things that is both not happening and it's great that it is. Third, he says, I would say is the American way of life. Some of that is covered in what I just said, but there are others. For instance, the total unaffordability of housing, especially for younger people. It's impossible for average earners now to buy, except in the very cheapest markets, and that's where you have the fewest opportunities. We may add to this deindustrialization, the decline of the middle class, wage stagnation, falling standards of living, the increasing necessity of a college degree in the job market at a time when colleges teach less and less, charge more and more, and vacuum up middle class wealth to enrich what are effectively Hedge funds with bad schools attached. Fourth, and certainly not least, is the American regime itself. Have we conserved that? Does it function as it was designed to? As a political scientist and a historian of sorts before that, I find the question laughable. If any of you want to make the case that we still live in the founder's regime, go ahead. Meanwhile, he says, I'll tell you what I see. Some of it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Going over this piece at uh, American Greatness by Michael Anton. 
asking, what exactly do the Never Trump conservatives think they are conserving? He says, I'll tell you what I see. A giant, unaccountable, unelected fourth branch of government that does what it wants without input or supervision from the people and that usurps executive, legislative, and judicial power. Rights are routinely trampled. Two-track justice, one standard for friends of the regime, another for its enemies, is now the norm. Just last week, a man killed with his car a teenager for the crime of being a Republican. That guy's already out on bail. Meanwhile, there are still dozens of January 6th protesters in pretrial detention for ridiculous non-crimes such as parading. The Justice Department, the FBI, CIA, all the security agencies are out of control in attacking American citizens. The FBI is now doing SWAT raids for misdemeanors. Earlier this month, the President of the United States gave a speech calling half the American population enemies of the state, and I could go on. So what is conservatism's response to all of this? Okay, they get angry. But not at these abuses and those who commit them. No, they get angry at people like Molly Hemingway, Julie Kelly, Heather McDonald, and others. Conservatives have long believed that the noblest thing they can do is police their own side. The left, of course, does not do this. The left works overtime to ensure that its people are excused of murder and arson and rioting and running down people with cars, right? The conservatives eagerly seek the death penalty for their own over-parking tickets. Now, am I saying that we should be like the left? Oh, yeah, a little. We ought to be more loyal, for instance. I'm not saying we should excuse arson and rioting, but that's moot anyway, since our side doesn't do that. Walking through doors held open by Capitol Police, notwithstanding. Now, for conservatives, the most heroic act of the 20th century was not D-Day or the moon landing, but William F. Buckley purging the Birchers. Hence, they're always on the lookout for more purges. Whole careers and institutions are now made of this, he says. And one thing I've noticed is that these, quote, conservatives really get mad when you point out that people who treat you like enemies are, in fact, your enemies. Finally, the conservatives find a backbone in righteous indignation. Right? To refer to someone libeling you, trying to cancel you, calling for your extirpation and even assassination as an enemy? Well, how dare you? Civility and politics above all else. Right? This is one of the things. A lot of these folks, these never-Trumpers, the time they get the fire in the belly is when they're attacking Republicans. It's almost as if they know it's an easier target. Let me jump over here to Tom. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm fine. Enjoyed your editorial, and you made me think when you were talking about DeSantis uh, uh, being called named by Trump. Yeah. Don't you think, uh, my question to you is, don't you think that DeSantis would love for Trump to be indicted or, you know, uh, as well as Democrats, you know they wanted to be indicted? Oh, sure. Don't you think that DeSantis wants to get Trump out of the way where he can be the front runner? And don't you think that uh, the, there are Republicans that are afraid of him? Now, I'm going to let you answer. I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer. Uh, but that's my question to uh, you. Thank you. Do I think this so the question is, do I think DeSantis wants Trump indicted? Yes. OK, um, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you here, Tom, I think, because I don't know. I I try not to make assumptions about people's motives, and this kind of falls under that category. Uh, I mean, what would his reaction be? I don't know. Um, But yes, I think you've identified the, the, the positive, the benefit that DeSantis would obviously enjoy, I think, would obviously enjoy. But who knows, right? A Trump indictment, like what if he gets indicted and then he beats it and then he becomes stronger? That might 
not redound to DeSantis's benefit, right? Um, obviously, Trump not running in 24 would, I mean, my guess is that would obviously help DeSantis in his run in 24. Um, but there's a lot of time left, you know? There's a lot of time between now and then. This is the thing I don't, the thing I, the thing I don't get, because there are all these, like, these guys are laying the foundation for all of their runs and stuff. You are correct. And they're, they're, you know, they're making all of these decisions and, and, you know, deciding on strategy and tactics and all that. I'm not privy to any of that, nor do I want to be. So I will watch and see what happens and try to, you know, interpret what I'm seeing. But we got a lot of time and we got the midterms first. And after the midterms, you know, we have no idea how bad the economy is going to get, how bad the war with Russia is going to get. We have no idea. And um, there is also, well, there there's also a lot of time for a lot of damage to be done in the primary with Republican on Republican attacks. And if this is, uh, if this is uh, uh, an indication of the way it's going, DeSantis may not get in, right? Because if Trump says he's going to run, DeSantis might not. So, I, I mean, I assume DeSantis is running, and I assume Trump is running. Oh, they want to. I assume they they, they seem to both be uh, making the plans that would you know lead them to that conclusion, but. Nobody really knows until you start lining up donors and support and endorsements and you start doing all of that kind of work and doing the polling and trying to figure out, can you actually win this thing? And can you win this thing means can you first beat somebody in the primary? You're going to look around the field and see who's in there. And I think if Trump says, yes, I'm going to run, I mean, what, you get Liz Cheney, right? Kinzinger or something like who's who's going to run against him on the Republican side? And does DeSantis do that? And if he does that, then he's going to get the treatment, right? He's going to be personally attacked. His family, his wife, his kids, they're going to be smeared. They're going to be just like he did with Ted Cruz, just like he did with Marco Rubio, just like he did with every Republican that came at him, right? Called Carly Fiorina horse face, right? I mean, he he's a nasty guy. He's going to say nasty things about DeSantis and his family and everybody that supports them. So, yeah, DeSantis is going to have to ask himself, uh, do you want do you want to go up against that? Because Trump obviously will say those things. He's already starting to. He's, he's telling them to the New York Times, which, of course, I know the Trump supporters won't care about that. I understand that. You're not going to care that he's going to the New York Times to trash talk DeSantis. I'm sure there's some explanation that people are going to tell themselves to explain all of that, why that's totally cool. For me, no. I don't go to the New York Times. I don't do the New York Times a solid because I know what the New York Times is. I know what Maggie Haberman is. And I thought Trump did too when he called them the enemy of the people, right? But he's still talking to them and he's still using them to put information out against a Republican to try to tear down the Republican governor of Florida who is a popular figure in Republican circles. But he's trying to destroy that guy just to keep him from challenging Trump. I know that's politics, but... I don't know, it just it does it doesn't seem to serve sort of the larger cause. Anyway, Winnable's up next. Stick around. I will see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.